1: Before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium, take it away. It's time for Dodger Baseball,
2: and we're live. What's going on, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. This is Kevin Klein speaking and we are presented by tick pick and fansided. hope everyone's having a nice February. There's been a lot of rain this month I can't help but noticing but at least out in Arizona it's not affecting the Los Angeles Dodgers because it looks like it's sunshine out there and there's been some awesome footage and tape over the last few days so we're gonna dive pretty deep into some spring training previewing today because the Dodgers do officially start their first game. Out in the Cactus League Thursday against the San Diego Padres, and we've got some news and notes to cover, so it's gonna be a fun show. I've got some off-the-wall topics as well. Let me defer to my co-host Jake Reiner. How are you doing, Jake? Make sure to follow him on X and what's going on? Hey Kev, uh, this is uh w- what a treat. What a
3: treat um uh, to you know follow along during spring training. You know, this is um This is kind of like like Christmas morning almost or like your your birthday morning when you're like expecting a ton of presents. And this is what this is for Dodgers fans. This is big Christmas morning every single day during spring training just to see how these new shiny toys fit together. Maybe you go back and play with some of your old toys that are being repaired or that got repaired like Walker Bueller. Um, This is a a great time to be a Dodgers fan to see, you know, how these pieces all fit. And the thing that I'm most curious about is how are Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Shohei Otani fitting in with this group. And by all accounts, they seem to be fitting in quite well. We heard Dave Roberts talk about how Shohei is already looking happier than he's ever looked. Uh, He's interacting with his teammates. Well, Looks like the, some of the older veterans are, are learning things from Yamamoto and Otani. Um, this is so much different than last year where we were kind of like, we don't even know what we have. And there were a ton of different competitions at different positions that we were looking at. Not so much this year. There's not a lot of competition in spring training. It's just, can these guys remain healthy throughout? And are they going to be ready come opening day?
2: Yeah, absolutely. What's going on, Showtime LA? What's going on, Doom underscore Sal? What's going on, Maria G? Everyone that's tuning in, welcome. Make sure to hit that like button, and let me get it off the bat right away. Hit that subscribe button if you're a new listener. You'll enjoy the show, I promise you. Jake, if it's feeling like Christmas to you, how many days of Christmas go throughout spring training? Because to me, it's more, it's more like yeah more like the eight days of Hanukkah it's
3: more like the eight days of Hanukkah that's just multiplied every single week
2: yeah because to me Christmas day is opening day right now I feel like we're kind of in uh Thanksgiving I guess you could say very thankful to have all these new faces with the Dodgers and you're right there is a lot more excitement and buzz to compare this team to last year's team because to be honest I feel like a lot of people weren't very excited about the 2023 Dodgers. And there were a couple bright spots like J.D. Martinez, who's still unemployed, sadly. But then there were some guys like David Peralta, eh, Noah Syndergaard, what a bust he was, you name it. So props to the Dodgers for being aggressive here. What's going on, Dennis Gonzalez? Yeah, Jake's kind of right. There aren't a ton of storylines to really follow through with this Dodgers team in spring training, but I am going to open up a little bit of a debate here. Cause I do feel like there is one roster spot position player wise that could potentially be open. And I think Miguel Vargas with the news that he is going to probably be a everyday left fielder now for the Dodgers. This is his one shot to be a part of this Dodgers team in a more regular role. And so if Miguel Vargas can come out of the gate this spring hit Three Over 300, I guess, will be reasonable here. Show that he's disciplined, maybe connect for some power. There's, there is an honest path for Miguel Vargas to be at least a platoon left fielder for the Dodgers and maybe steal the job. I know I keep bashing him every week, but steal the job from Manuel Margot.
3: Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Um, at the very least, an excellent backup outfielder infielder to bring up to the team if there are any injuries i think that's maybe a little bit more reasonable of a path for him to this major league roster as opposed to beating out uh one of the veterans like margot for a roster spot it's sort of unfortunate because a lot of times you only get one shot And Miguel Vargas got a pretty big shot last year to be the everyday guy. There was the whole campaign of, we're going to let the kids play. Outman made the team. We saw a lot of the young pitchers make their debuts like Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone. Um, We saw Ryan Pepio a lot more than we're maybe used to. So for for Miguel Vargas, it was a tough road for him last year. He kind of struggled out the gate and never really recovered and they never brought him back. So he has a lot to prove. There's a lot of pressure on him to be good in spring. And even if he is good, there's a good chance he won't make the roster. So that's even more pressure than it would be normally. And then you're also having to deal with the fact that he could be traded at any moment. So I don't know what's going on in his head, but I agree. That is the one kind of, guy that we should be following throughout spring because the rest of the team looks pretty set I mean we're just gonna have to see how uh Yamamoto looks in live action and major league action in spring training I mean that's a cool storyline to follow um and to see if Walker Bueller ever makes an appearance I know that they were saying that he is likely not going to pitch in Cactus league games so there are storylines to follow but in terms of Guys fighting for roster spots and competing—we're um, we're, going to see less of that this year.
2: Yeah, back to Miguel Vargas, and then we'll go more into the pitching's, more into the pitching. The other thing that could kind of play into the advantage for Miguel Vargas, and it would have to be kind of the, to the the detriment of Jason Hayward. But if Jason Hayward mm-hmm. does regress, goes back to his kind of late Cubs form, and is that player again you know, this is almost kind of a huge opportunity for Miguel Vargas. They're not just going to obviously hand the job to Miguel Vargas though. Like I was saying a minute ago, he's going to have to prove it. And it might not even be right away. Even with a hot spring, he might have to also then rake a little bit in AAA for the Oklahoma city Dodgers, but it's kind of, you kind of want to root for Miguel Vargas in a sense because then the Dodgers lineup might not be so left-handed heavy. I feel like there had has been kind of some pause that, the Dodgers lineup overall is pretty left-handed focus. And if Miguel Vargas can really amount to the player that we were kind of anticipating when he initially got called up mid-2022 and made the postseason roster, you insert him in that bottom third, and now you're breaking up all the left-handed bats. That would be a big leg up for the Dodgers. So like I was just saying, I'm kind of really following this storyline. It is almost essentially a make or break season. For Vargas. And if you stick him in left field, well, you've got Teoscar Hernandez who can play right field. So it's not like the Dodgers are taking a hit depth wise in the outfield. They'd be perfectly fine if Miguel Vargas goes out there and rakes. True.
3: And one more thought about that. We can't forget about Chris Taylor, too. So yeah. Vargas is going to be competing with Margot and Chris Taylor for playing time and maybe even James Outman. Who knows? What is going to happen with Outman this year? This is his sophomore season to see if he can capitalize on what he did last year. But if they platoon him, then you could be looking at an outfield of Chris Taylor in center field, Vargas in left, and Teoscar Hernandez in right, or Margot in left, Taylor in center, and Teoscar Hernandez in right. So there are a lot of options right-handed wise that they, that Dave Roberts can call on. So like I said, it is going to be tough for Miguel Vargas to break this roster. I feel
2: for sure. Yeah. It's, it's really just down to, I don't think there's any other people on this roster that could surprise us and make it. It literally probably just comes down to Vargas versus Margot. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. What's up, Ryan? I got some thoughts on Austin later, and I see some questions in the chat. But we'll get to questions later. We've got some Dodgers news and notes that we want to cover first. So let's get to pitching. I think the big storyline that Jake just mentioned a couple minutes ago does revolve around Walker Buehler. The Dave Dave Roberts and the medical staff appear to have ruled Walker Buehler out for all of spring training. In terms of the start to the regular season, they're also not putting a timetable in terms of when he can come back anytime the Dodgers flat out tell us so-and-so is healthy they'll sh- they should be back you know in a matter of time they end up lying so I've kind of lost faith in any news and notes from the Dodgers when it comes to players health when they ask Walker Bueller how he's doing according to him he feels awesome so before I have go into my thoughts and some concerns Jake what are your thoughts on being with Walker Bueller being held out
3: i hear a lot of everyone's concerns out there about the fact that it looked as if walker bueller was going to come back at some point last year that was a real possibility and then he never did and so now you have an entire off season of recovery rehabilitation and all of that it would make sense if walker bueller was going to be ready for april and may but the fact is is that they don't need him for april and may the dodgers have built this roster so that Walker Bueller can come back and be healthy down the stretch and into October. That's what they need him for period because this Dodgers team is going to be able to weather the storm during the regular season. I don't have any uh, worries about that. They have enough pitching depth, even if you know, Glasnow, now God forbid goes down or, you know, Kershaw may not even pitch at all. You know I mean? There are so many different scenarios in which, um, Walker Bueller will not be needed because of the guys that they have coming up behind him. And the truth is, is that they, they don't, like I said, they don't need Walker Bueller in the beginning of the season. So I'm fine with them taking as many baby steps as it takes to get him fully healthy. He's coming off of a second Tommy John surgery. It's, it's remarkable that he's even, we're even talking about him pitching again, to be honest um, but I, I trust the Dodgers medical staff to be able to get this right. I don't however, trust the mouthpiece, which is Dave Roberts, because every time he talks about an injury, you take it with a grain of salt because nine times out of 10, he's either wrong or not as correct as he seems to be. I, I don't really ever take what he says about injuries to heart because who, who the hell knows what message they're trying to throw out there, but I do trust the medical staff. In getting this right so i don't have any issues with walker bueller taking his time
2: i was fine with holding walker bueller out all of april all of may perfectly fine with that but to hold him out of spring training kind of rubs me the wrong way because how do you go from a guy that's rehabbing almost good to go in september to now he can't even pitch in spring training and the reasons that i'm not happy with this is because i feel like spring training is an excellent way for a pitcher to get fine-tuned for the regular season. And how am I supposed to know if Walker Buehler is any good or not? If I don't see him facing major league players in spring training so that he can get his mechanics straight. If Walker Buehler is just throwing off a mound to nobody or a bunch of double a players, then how am I supposed to be confident in him in the regular season when he gets called up in the heat of a pennant race? I feel like go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Finish your point. So I just feel like the Dodgers are getting overly cute here, or they're trying to hide something with Walker Bueller because all reports indicate right now that he's throwing 92 miles per hour and 92 miles per hour. Isn't the end of the world. But if he's throwing 92 with no spin on it, that he's Noah Syndergaard all over again. And I haven't seen much about his secondary pitches. I think. When Walker Buehler was healthy, he had some of the best secondary pitches in the sport. But I don't know what they look like now. If he doesn't have mechanics, then he's he's a lame duck.
3: The truth is, we don't know.
2: And the
3: other truth is, is that we probably will never know um, what his status is, or even if he was as close as we all thought he was to coming back last season. We we, we just don't know. I mean, we we we've already talked about how can we trust Dave Roberts. Um, and anybody that speaks publicly on injuries from this organization, because historically they, they they just haven't been accurate. So I am not as concerned as you are being held out of spring training because he can pitch down to the minor leagues, get tuned up. This guy is not a rookie. This guy is a proven big game pitcher. And so if, if Walker Bueller is good to go and he says he's good to go against major league pitching and he gets the okay from this medical staff i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt i don't find it as concerning as other people do that he won't be pitching in cactus league and hey dave roberts said he might not be pitching in in the cactus league but that could be bullshit too he could very well pitch in in spring training randomly he could get a start he could get a few innings here and there that might still happen. As far as I know, that hasn't been ruled out. So we're just going to have to wait and see on him. But I trust Walker Bueller, the person and the player, and I know what he's capable of. And if he's in agreement
2: with this plan that they've got going on, then I'm going to trust that. And that's perfectly fine. And yeah, I believe in Walker Buehler too. I just find it very suspicious because it's not like he's not throwing. He's definitely throwing. So what harm does it do if he goes out there for one to two spring training innings once a week? Like let us see something. Let us see what his weaknesses are so that he can go down there and correct it. Because if he doesn't know what his weaknesses are, then we're in for a really rough awakening come whenever he gets activated and another thing on this Dodgers medical staff, why I don't trust them, I don't trust Dave Roberts, I'm done with them. After last year, when they said Yancy Almonte had a minor knee injury and should be back in like a week and then didn't pitch again for the rest of the season, that really rubbed me the wrong way. When they said, oh, there's nothing wrong with Clayton Kershaw, and then we find out that his shoulder is literally falling off. Like, what the hell? It's all so,
3: bullshit. I mean, yeah. we, we, we know this, though. We know this about this team like that's what happens is that we'll never know the full story ever. What, you know, because what happens behind the scenes happens behind the scenes. And there's a message that they all come up with. And that's the message that they're going to put out there for whatever reason, if it's a strategy thing to get other teams uh, anticipating that these guys are going to be coming back and to game plan for them, who the hell knows what the reasoning is, but the point is, is that we're never going to know. So th- there there's no point in like speculating if this is good or bad, because this happens all the time. And especially with, with Kershaw, I mean, you're not, Kershaw not going to go out there and say that he got absolutely destroyed in the postseason because his arm hurt, you know, like he's going to take it on the chin and he's going to say that I didn't pitch well, which he didn't. So and and it's and it's kind of interesting too because he pitched well down the stretch when he came back. So all kind signs of. were pointing to him being decent. I mean, yes, his arm was a problem, but I think he just got destroyed. I mean,
2: we we were really there was a lot of fools gold into that, and I think we were all kind of turning a blind eye because it was Kershaw. But his FIP or something post injury was like in the fives, and his stuff plus which is like an advanced metric in terms of like the pitches that come out of your arsenal were like well below league average. So I think there was a lot of luck that went to Kershaw's side, but because it was Clayton Kershaw and he was getting the job done, we were like, well, the eye test, you know, passes everything, but the metrics suggested otherwise. Yeah. And it, it, it was just a really shitty ending. The 2023 season for the Dodgers. I had high hopes as did you, I know. And wow, did everything really just go not our way at all and it yeah that sucked. was the biggest crash and burn i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right let's see what's going on steve g what's up frank what's up Yang Yi? what's up everyone hit that like button um this is a, a question for you jake so why don't i let aaron vaughn get some love right away since a very directed question
4: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Question.
3: Yeah, so it says, what up, fellas? Jake, I just learned you were a reporter out in Houston. Uh, what the fuck? Uh, what was that experience <laughs> like uh, for you being out there uh, after? Um Yeah, I used to be a uh, television reporter, uh, both news and sports. I did it for about 10 years. I made a stop in Houston around um, the 2016. I was in Houston actually for the 2017 World Series, and I covered it. I Actually, they flew me out to LA. I covered a few of the games out here. And then I went to games four and the infamous game five. That was the cheatiest game of all time. The one that was with Kershaw and Kenta Maeda. And it was like a 13 to 12 game. Um, so that was crazy. I'll tell you one quick tidbit about that. So after game seven, uh, first of all, I watched game seven at a Houston bar. Um, and I was the only Dodgers fan in there. And after the Astros put up five runs, they were up five to one. I knew that I just didn't want to be there for the final out. So I left early because I knew I had to get up early the next day. I was working the morning show. I watched the rest of that game in my apartment, sad lights off. It was depressing knowing full well that I had to wake up the next day and go cover the celebration and all of that. So I was forced to get up at two three o'clock in the morning and act happy and excited that the Astros won. Little did I know they were the biggest cheaters of all time. I didn't know that at the time, but I was still so depressed covering that. And my producer actually noticed that on air and said, why are you looking so depressed? Why are you so upset? And that pissed me off. So then I went and did an entire rant and rave. I went over the top, a crazy manic performance at the team store at Minute Maid Park, where I went crazy and started cheering, you know, for the Astros. And I put all the gear on and like, it was just to show up my producer, but I was so furious. And then to find out that they cheated made it even worse. Um, So, but my time in Houston was great. I loved being there. Uh, The people there were awesome. Obviously I didn't know what happened with the Astros at the time that it happened. I also got to cover hurricane Harvey while I was there. So uh, it was a crazy experience. And then I came back here back home and I worked for about Three ish years with uh KCal CBS, where I covered news and sports up until May of last year when they uh when they let me go. They didn't fire me, but they let me go because they get rid of all the, the freelance reporters. So now I am a former reporter and a current actor. So that's my uh day job.
2: The Jake Reiner biopic coming to theaters twenty twenty five. That
3: was played the full that was the full you played know, by
2: Jake Reiner. We might have to find that vault tape of you uh, dressed as an Astros fan. Oh, Paxton. I have <laughs> it. I have it. I can send. I can send yeah, it to you. I'm, I'm gonna need to see that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to your questions later, everyone. Appreciate you all hopping by, but we've got some more stuff to cover here. So yeah, back to storylines. In my opinion, the Dodgers have one spot open in the starting rotation because we know Yamamoto, Glass, now Paxton, and Bobby Miller are locks at your. F- At your number one through four starters we can get into the order later on we kind of already got confirmation unofficially that Yamamoto and Glass now are your one two starters in Korea don't know the order yet but Dave Roberts said he feels pretty strongly that those are going to be his two guys assuming all pans out in spring training so yeah like I was saying there's one spot open in the rotation so I think the guys that we have to watch out for as currently constructed Emmett Sheehan And Gavin Stone are going to battle it out for that last pitching spot. Ryan Yarbrough, I guess, could be in the mix. And I guess a super dark dark horse could be Kyle Hurt. But I really do think it will boil down to Sheehan and Gavin Stone. And I think it's anyone's job. It's going to come down to who pitches better.
3: Yeah. And if we remember last year, Gavin Stone had a hell of a spring. So even though he didn't really pitch that well at the major league level during the regular season, he's got a, a as good a shot as any. And down the stretch, Emmett Sheehan was pretty damn dominant. So that's going to be a fun race to watch during this spring, just to see how those young pitchers are. I know Steve G uh, mentioned yeah. Michael Grove too. Yeah, what's, so, what's
2: darker than a dark horse? Because I guess he's right. Grove is also in the mix.
3: Yeah, Grove is also in the mix, but I think Grove is going to be in the mix regardless because they're – you know, there, there, there are going to be injuries. We know this, but also, um, the Dodgers uh, like to use off days and they like to skip guys in the rotation. Don't know how they're going to play Yamamoto either because of the adjustment that he's going to make to the, uh, American rotation. Um, he had more days off, uh, and more time in between starts. So they may use Michael Grove to kind of, give Yamamoto more rest who knows um but those are the guys that we're gonna see and I'm excited to see what happens with Gavin Stone because he had a a rude kind of awakening a a rude start to his career um getting destroyed by a couple teams one of them being the Tampa Bay Rays and so I'm really looking forward to seeing how he'll capitalize And I'm hoping for better things from Michael Grove. I really am. I mean, the the bar is kind of low for him because of of kind of the disaster outings that he had last year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he looks like in spring.
2: I, I think Michael Grove still might have one or two options. So it's not the end of the world if he gets roughed up in spring training, I suppose. But I do feel like he is another guy to keep your eye out on because... To me, the clock is ticking with Michael Grove. I haven't really been that impressed with him as a starting pitcher. I've I've been pretty uh, outspoken about that, calling him Mid-City Grove. But as a reliever, this is a great opportunity for him to really shape himself, be maybe a long guy out of the pen. I do feel like the Dodgers are going to need one or two long guys, especially early on, early on in the season. I think with Dave Roberts ruling out the idea of a six-man rotation, basically the logic is he doesn't want to shorten the pen well, then why don't you have two guys maybe serve as back guys? Because I think back to 2022 to start the year, I actually really loved the idea of when they had Gonsolin go out there, go three, four innings, and then they followed him out with Tyler Anderson. I actually don't yeah. know why more teams don't double stack starters because one, you can keep the innings down on the starter. Two, it's a great opportunity to rest your bullpen. You might only have to get out of a game going with three or four guys versus what we've seen with most Dodger nights where it feels like six or seven guys are coming out of the bullpen. Yeah. I mean, the issue is, is that a lot of these teams don't have
3: the pitching to do that. Like they don't have enough good pitching to be able to do that. The Dodgers, like you mentioned, do do have that. So I, we're going to see a lot of uh, interesting things. I I'm hoping we're not going to see bullpen days because we have a lot of older relievers in this bullpen. I mean, really, if you look at it like 35 plus, there's a bunch of guys 35 and over and, and in their thirties. So I really don't like the idea of doing a bullpen game and taxing the bullpen. That's why, that's why I like having Grove and Sheehan and, um, uh, uh, stone, you know, like that those guys will be able to do that. And like you mentioned, the piggyback thing is, is great. Um, and we have the pitching to do it, so I'd like to see them try that again.
2: Yeah, Yarborough is a great candidate to be one of those piggyback guys if he's not starting. And honestly, don't rule out Kyle Hurt. I do think there is going to be some type of battle between Kyle Hurt and Michael Grove as some type of long reliever. And personally, I think uh, personally, I think Kyle Hurt has the better stuff. Very limited sample size, but this guy throws some very nasty pitches and. I feel like he has a better fastball, better slider, just more more enduring stuff than Michael Grove who just gave up way too many home runs for my personal preference. And Gavin Stone, I I do feel like I'm going to be I'm going to be a contrarian. I think he might be the better pitcher than Emmett Sheehan. That's just my hot take here, but I feel like if Gavin Stone can really harness the fastball because we know the secondary stuff's good, was a confidence issue. But his fastball was getting hit pretty hard. Guy throws a pretty nasty changeup, kind of like reminds me of Ryan Pepio. So Gavin Stone's essentially replacing Pepio, in my opinion. They're very similar pitchers, and there's really good velocity on Stone's fastball. Uh, with Emmett Sheehan, I feel like he's going to be also really good. So they might both end up being in the Dodgers' rotation at some point this season. But I think maybe Stone shapes out to be the better starter, and Sheehan maybe to start the season comes out of the pen to keep his innings down. Kind of want to just see how that all plays out, but I'm excited for these young guys and sucks Nick Frosso won't be in the equation, but yeah. the, the Dodgers pitching is really really deep right now and honestly, they could even add another starter and I wouldn't complain. But one other reliever that I guess you have to keep your eye out on, he his name was mentioned in the reports a couple days ago. They are hoping that Daniel Hudson looks good in spring training and they have a, they already have a roster spot ready for him if all shapes out well. So this Dodgers bullpen, it's pretty stacked right now.
3: Yeah, it is. And uh, did you see what Blake Trinan is looking like too, that he looks yeah. locked in. I was, also, I don't know if you caught him on um, Dodger talk with Vassay, but Trinan was really like sounded great. And he sounds locked in as ever. He sounds healthy. And he struck out Otani. So <laughs> he's he's doing pretty well. And 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 if and if we can get that anywhere near that 2020 Blake Trinan uh type of player, I mean, wow, this bullpen is gonna be nasty. And if Daniel Hudson is just healthy, we know how good he is. Every time he's taken the ball, he's been nasty for us the only issue is that he hasn't taken the ball that much because he's been hurt. So with him and Brazier and Phillips and Gratterall and Vassia, I mean, this, this bullpen is, might be one of my favorites. And I love the bull and I love, and I've been loving the Dodgers bullpen over the last few years. That has been the most consistently dominant part of this franchise year in and year out, because sometimes we have great starting pitching, Sometimes we get you know super injured on the starting staff. Sometimes we have a great offense. Sometimes we don't. But the bullpen is honestly the one constant that is always generally lights out. And we might see an all-timer this year if these guys are healthy.
2: They also signed left-hander Justin Wilson to a minor league deal. He hasn't really been that great the last few years, but just another guy to keep your eye out on in spring training. We'll see if he has anything left in the tank. Jake, was there any other spring training storylines you wanted to shout out real quick before I move on? Yes, I do actually, because I've, I've been seeing reports
3: that Max Muncie is looking like he's in the best shape of his life. He didn't say that, but a lot of people are, are, are talking about how he's slimmed down. We've already talked about how he's been focusing on his defense a locked in Max Muncy, I don't know what that's going to do for, you know, I don't know what him being in shape is going to do for his production, but certainly if he's more athletic and more nimble at third base, that can only help defensively. And it might even help batting average wise might even help cut down the strikeouts who knows, but Max Muncy being in great shape is a great sign for this team.
2: Glad you brought that up. I had that written down. And yes, we have officially entered Max Sh- Max Muncy in the best shape of his life territory. Yes. There always seems to be one Dodger that takes the crown. This year, it's Max Muncy. And yeah, I mean, I feel like with the Dodgers lineup being so deep this year versus even last year, much deeper lineup, Like Max Muncy is almost a role player at this point. So there's going to be a lot less pressure on him, at least on the offensive side. Well, he- I,
3: I would push back on that a little bit just to say that he's I mean, he's going to be hitting in the middle of the order. So I, I wouldn't necessarily call him a role player because they are going to count on him for production. I mean, he's a 30-plus home run, 100 RBI guy, and so they're going to expect that kind of production out of him.
2: They are, but I do feel like if he hits 200, hits 30 home runs, drives in with a successful running runners with scoring position of close to 300. No one's really going to complain. I feel like no, but I I don't
3: think that that's, I don't think that that's role player status.
2: I think that that's, that's a middle of the order bat, which he is definitely. And for Muncie, I don't question the bat. The defense is what everyone's going to keep their eye out on, but it looks like he's taking it to heart. And so we should be excited for Max Muncie. Let's take a quick commercial break right here. I guess it's a good time, but we'll get to some questions now. And then we're going to talk some Shohei Otani and Yamamoto. So you can start loading up your questions chat. And as you do that, I'm going to shout out our sponsor, TickPick. Baseball is literally around the corner. And if you haven't gotten your spring training tickets yet, well, you can buy them on TickPick. The reason TickPick is different from all the other ticketing sites out there is because there are no service fees at checkout. So you see the price that's listed on the website that's what you're going to pay. I've used TickPick throughout the years now. I am able to find great seats at Dodger Stadium for the lowest prices out there on the market. And you don't really get screwed by scalpers like you do on other sites. Their tickets are 100% guaranteed. So you know that you're making a very safe purchase. So go ahead and download the TickPick app. Check them out on social media. They even got some funny commercials I've noticed now. And they're they're really growing. So download that app. Check it out. Well, there's no questions. So I'm going to continue in the meantime. I'm sure they're popping up, though. Let's talk Shohei Otani because there is some news and notes about Shohei Otani. Jake already mentioned that it looks like he's the happiest he's ever been playing baseball. He's been super engaged, as Dave Roberts described it, next-level engagement with his teammates. They also are saying that Shohei Otani's goal is about 50 at bats during spring training, which doesn't feel like a whole lot to me. But I know that Otani is going to also do a lot of work off the field. So I'm okay with 50 at bats, I guess, ramping up as we get to the regular season, which is exactly a month away now, March 20th. Oh, yeah. Um, We finally got some live batting practice from Shohei Otani. He struck out against Blake Trinan, but he absolutely launched a fastball down the middle from JP Fire Eisen was nearly dead center, had the whole crowd in awe. This was our first time seeing Shohei Otani hit off a live pitcher, and it was quite a sight. You could hear like all the spectators in awe. He has a swing of beauty. Yeah, and uh, in one of the videos, you could hear
3: Rick Honeycutt. Uh, the only reason I knew it was Rick Honeycutt because Vasay said it was but uh, he basically was like, that's not coming back after he launched one off fire eyes. I always find it funny though, that the Dodgers, they used to do this back like many, many years ago uh, when they would post spring training videos, they would show who was pitching and who was hitting, but now they kind of hide it, which is kind of funny. Like they don't like to reveal like that their pitchers are getting roughed up by the, their hitters. So it's always a funny guessing game to figure out who, who's actually pitching in these videos. But it was pretty clear because when Otani hits, all eyes are on Otani, literally. I mean, all the spectators there, the Japanese media, the American media, they're all there, you know, camera phones out. You got about like 25 to 30 different angles of this damn thing. And his, his swing looks so pure, so beautiful. Getting to see him launch these baseballs over the fence because he he's hit like, you know, at least twenty home runs at this point already in batting practice. Just coming off surgery in October, there it's like the 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 best thing that could that could happen during this spring training is 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 getting to see him swing pain free. And I don't mind, like you said, I don't mind him getting fifty at bats in spring training. We know, we know how good he is. So it's just about getting the rhythm, remaining healthy and, and starting the season as, as our DH. And I, and I do like the fact that, you know, he's kind of being eased into Dodger life, right. Where it's like, he doesn't have to focus on being a pitcher as well. He can rehab, um, the entire year and, and make sure that he comes back in 2025 and is able to pitch in the meantime get acclimated to his team, a whole new team, a whole new city basically. I mean, yeah, Anaheim is technically LA area, but no, this is Los Angeles. This is a much different beast than Anaheim. And so, for him to just be focusing on hitting and and driving in runs and getting on base while he's getting acclimated, one less one less thing for him to worry about is pitching. That that to me is the is the best recipe for success for him this year.
2: Definitely. Um all right we got two questions Javier T asking who do you think made up the idea not talking to who do you think made up the idea of Otani not talking to the media I know his teammates are going to get over speaking for him
3: Well so I don't it think so any- much a, it. wasn't so much a made up thing because he really didn't speak to the media that much in Anaheim he kind of only spoke after he pitched and maybe if he had like a really, you know, a monster day at the plate, he would speak to the media and then his teammates kind of were the ones that shouldered that. But to me, like, I, I think that the Dodgers players and the organization is so happy to have him. And I think that this organization, especially, you know, from the top down, I mean, they want to win a world series. I mean, that's obvious, but like the moves that they made this off season, is basically Andrew Friedman saying, I don't know what more I can do for you guys. You got to go out there and win a goddamn World Series. And I think that that attitude, especially with Otani's desire to win, I don't think we're going to be, I don't think we're going to have an issue with like players feeling like they're, they're being burdened by talking about him because the Dodgers are going to be winning. And when you're winning, it's great to talk about every player, you know, it's great. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the players actually like to talk about other players other than themselves, more than they'd like to talk about themselves. Like Chris Taylor, like that's a guy that loves to talk about other teammates. And I think that the Dodgers are going to be comfortable with that because they're winning. I think some of the angels players weren't so happy about it in Anaheim because guess what? They weren't winning. And so when you're not winning, you're, you you. don't want to talk about anything. You don't even want to be there, a la Anthony Rendon. So, I think this is a whole different ball game, uh, completely. And
2: I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah, definitely agree. Maria G, what are your expectations for Yamamoto's first half? So great timing because I want to talk about Yoshinobu Yamamoto now. He threw his first real. Uh, pitching session just the other day as well and faced some of the top Dodgers hitters I will say though I wonder if we will get one Yamamoto versus Otani spring training battle oh, that, that would be so cool. that would be insane but Yamamoto did go against Mookie Betts I believe he either struck him out or got him to foul out and then Freddie Freeman faced him as well Freddie Freeman lined out and after their little battle Freddie Freeman had some very kind remarks for Yamamoto calling him an incredible pitcher and that he's glad he is on our team. So everything that we've heard about Yamamoto should really get Dodger fans excited. This will tie into the question in a second, but early reports say that he's throwing a 96 mile per hour fastball, which is kind of insane this early into spring training. Glass now is throwing 97, 98. So the the two guys that the Dodgers invested heavily in are paying divins early on. Yamamoto throwing 96, though, at his frame of 5'10", 180 pounds or whatever. People knock him for his size, but to me, he's throwing like a Pedro Martinez out there. I'm super excited. I think there's a huge advantage for Yamamoto. I always have felt like the Japanese pitcher that comes over to the American side of things always has an advantage for his first year because people because players are very unfamiliar with their stuff. I mean, Kodai Senga is the most recent beneficiary. That guy dominated last year for the Mets, and the Mets weren't even any good, and Yamamoto is supposed to be a lot better than Kodai Senga. So for the first half, I think Yamamoto is going to flirt with being an all-star. ERA will probably be in the high twos. Conditioning will be a big question mark for him. Jake mentioned it earlier. He's used to pitching once a week. But I mean, if all these other pitchers have been able to adjust, I don't see why Yamamoto can't. Yeah, and it seems like Yamamoto has
3: one of the best work ethics of any player we've ever seen. So if there's anybody that can figure out how to adjust to this new normal for him in the United States, it's Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Um, Just the way he goes about it. He's so like proficient and he's so methodical and the javelin thing and all, all of that stuff. I mean, he's just so, he's so unique. And you mentioned Pedro Martinez kind of that same type of frame to, uh, to him. And his motion is so old school. It's like, it, it reminds me of those, those, you know, the, the footage of like Walter Johnson, you know, throwing in black and white, you know, the sped up video of him, you know, striking guys out. It just looks so old school. It's just like, I'm just going to throw it at you. I'm going to throw it and you're not going to be able to hit it. And the movement on it is absolutely insane. So I think I agree with you. I think his first half is going to be kind of dominant because I don't think that the league is going to be able to figure him out so quickly. We might see a little bit of a step back once he makes his way around the league, you know, a little bit, he might come back down to earth, but again, he's so good at making adjustments and he's so good at, um, you know, data and, and honestly, like the, the, the team that they have around him and also just Mark Pryor, just the way Mark Pryor, you know, and his staff prepares pitchers. I, I, I think he's, I think he's going to have an, an, an insane season. I I really truly believe he, he will be, I don't know if he's going to win the Cy Young, but he's going to be tops in Cy Young voting, I believe.
2: According to you, he's going to be the best pitcher in the National League next season. So he better. would to you mean. yes. <laughs> Aaron Etch, congrats on surpassing a thousand K subscribers, or yeah, a thousand subscribers. Thank you, Aaron. Now the new goal is to get to two thousand. We'll keep going up from there. But yeah, back to Yamamoto. How about those reports that came out today that he actually turned down less money, or he turned down oh, yeah. more money from the Phillies to come to the Dodgers? I don't know exactly how much the Phillies offered him, but I mean, just the fact that he had an opportunity to go to Philadelphia, which wouldn't sleep on them either. They look like they're a pretty strong team, but came to Los Angeles kind of just shows everybody how committed he is to, first of all, winning. Second of all, wanting to be a Dodger. And third, we got him. We got the guy. So suck it, and- league. Yamamoto <laughs> is ours for the next twelve years, and I couldn't be more thrilled. It's nice because the Phillies beat us out for
3: uh Bryce Harper, so this yeah. is our returning the favor with Yamamoto. And it's not like he turned down the Giants, let's say, for more money, because if you look at the Giants, like they're not built to win right now. So you could make the clear argument that he came to the Dodgers for winning if it was between those two teams, but because it was between the Phillies and the Dodgers, you can't really make that argument of like, oh, he preferred winning because like you mentioned, the Phillies are, are, are a playoff team. They're, they're, they're going to be good next year. So it wasn't so much about winning. I think it was more about, I think, Otani had a major, uh, you know, fact was a major factor in recruiting him. But also I think just the philosophy and the way that the Dodgers uh prepare their players, the the way that the Dodgers use analytics, just the whole organization, the way that they do things, I think was so was was too attractive to him to turn down, not to mention just the star power on this team and and the fact that Otani's already on the team. So all of those factors I you know, obviously love that. I mean, when it, when a player clearly chooses your franchise, your team. That's the best thing that a fan could want to hear from from a free agent.
2: We've officially become that destination where all the star players want to go. So that narrative that no one wants to be a Dodger, you can suck it. Okay. Um I think I'm out of t- storyline topics. I'm trying to just scroll through my notes real quick. Um you want to talk up you want to talk about Anthony Rendon? I mean, not really, because I don't think Anthony Rendon deserves more of my attention, but go ahead. Um,
3: This guy just keeps finding new ways to be more unlikable. Because here's the thing. Is it crazy to say that you care more about your family and your personal life than baseball? No, it's not crazy to say at all. I mean, I think... That at their core, that is what is uh, that that is what most players probably believe. You know, obviously the priorities are there. It's never something you want your star player to say, though, in the way yeah. in which he said it. Which basically, he kind of was very nonchalant in the way that he voiced that. Basically, this is a job. They asked him, "Do you want to be here?" And he kind of like you know, shoved that answer off and said, I already answered your question. And he didn't really answer the question. And it was funny too, because I heard that quote from Rendon. And then I listened to Blake Trinan on, you know, Dodger talk and, and Blake is, as we know, he's a very, very dedicated uh, man to his faith. Um, He gives all the glory to God all the time. He refers to himself as a vessel out there, but the way in which Blake Trinan, and he also talks about his family too and and his wife and how important those things are. But the way Blake Trinan talks about pitching and winning is kind of kind of gets you fired up. Basically, what Blake Trinan was saying is that, he, Because the Dodgers have blessed him, this is his words, because the Dodgers have blessed him with a contract and the belief in him, he wants to go out there and bless the Dodgers and be a winner on the field and bless the fans. And whether or not you're a religious person or not, I, I am not a religious person. But hearing that attitude from a player, even though you know where their priorities are, that is that gets you fired up. But like a guy like Rendon, who just, I don't know, there's just, there's never been an ounce of him that for me has felt like he even wants to, to be there. And I don't blame him for, for not wanting to be on the angels, but the dude chose the angels over the Dodgers. Can you imagine if Rendon had chosen the Dodgers over the angels, we'd be having a much different discussion.
2: That'd be a nightmare. Yeah. Rendon, Rendon is just um what's up Alex Campos great follow there on X. Anthony Rendon I've always found to be kind of overrated and I didn't want him when the Dodgers were rumored to maybe try to go after him in free agency. Um thank god he wants to live out there in Anaheim because just what a bad teammate to be honest. He's kind of Horrible. he's kind of like a Kyrie Irving in a sense where he doesn't seem to really care about the sport. He's just doing it for the paycheck the the angels are just idiotic. So I don't need to waste any more time on Anthony Rendon. Honestly, that guy can ride out there in Anaheim. The angels are a huge mess. They're not going to be good anytime soon. And it's kind of a shame that Mike Trout is kind of pulling a, a Damian Lillard route, the Portland Damien Lillard, where he's just going to, he's just going to chill out there. Even Lillard got out of Portland and now he's, well, he's not thriving in Milwaukee because they're coached by doc rivers and he sucks. But, but the point is he's, he's on a, a better organization, I suppose. And, and Mike Trout kind of needs to do the same thing.
3: I, if, I, I don't know how Trout saw the, you know, the shaky foundation of that. I mean, he knew everything about that organization leading up to his contract extension and still decided that that's where he wanted to be because, in, in Trout's mind, he wants to be loyal and he wants to win a title in Anaheim, and and I get that. But boy, when you see how that organization is run and that team, I I, I don't know how he made that. I don't know how he made that. I mean, he's Mike Trout. You, you get paid wherever, dude. Like you could another team when he signed that extension. Another another team would have given him that money. So it it, it yeah. doesn't make it doesn't make very much sense. It's not. It's not the mindset that I that I would have if I was a superstar player. I mean, it just it just wouldn't be.
2: All right, we've hit that point in the chat where Jason Schmidt's name's coming up, so <laughs> I think it's time to change subjects here. So I put this list out uh, two nights ago, and it got a lot of engagement. So I'm thrilled with that, I said, "Well, figured I'd, I'd bring it out on the podcast." Um. My connection got lost. Am I here?
3: I still hear you.
2: All right. Am I back? Yes. Okay. That was weird. Maybe it was a glitch. Um, okay, so this is my list. These are just based off my personal rankings. So, Jake, feel free to chime in every time I drop a year. Chat, do the same. This is my Andrew Friedman roster rankings. So Friedman was put in charge in 2015. So he started in 2015. We're going to go through 2023. I'm not going to do 2024 for a couple reasons. One, they haven't even played a game yet. And number two, I don't want to curse them. I don't want to jinx them. So figured I would uh, skip them. Are we good? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Am I frozen? Uh, you're fine. I don't know what's going on here. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to talk and shoot me a text if this doesn't work. It says my network okay. connection is a 10 out of 10. Okay. Number 9, so this is the worst team, the 2023 Dodgers. E- okay, even though 23 Dodgers won 100 games, their pitching was total dog shit. I mean, we started Lance Lynn in a playoff game. We had to witness Noah Syndergaard get absolutely shelled time after time. Michael Grove was a disaster. In terms of the starting lineup, I mean, Miguel Rojas was our shortstop. David Peralta was our left fielder. And Austin Barnes hit like 100. So 2023, and they got swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks in the NLDS. So they are by far the worst team. Number eight, the 2015 Dodgers. The first year Andrew Friedman took over, they had phenomenal seasons by Kershaw, Granke, Both Cy Young worthy, but they got beat by the Mets in the NLDS. That team kind of had a lot of holes. Um, They had acquired Yasmani Grandal, his first year as the Dodgers catcher. Uh, They traded for Chase Utley. He got a lot of time in the second half. Uh, Jock Peterson completely fizzled out as a rookie. Jimmy Rollins was our shortstop for most of the year. Honestly, that 2015 Dodgers team had a really mid-trade deadline as well. Matt Latos was a disaster. Alex Wood didn't really pan out yet. He was bad. Brett Anderson was basically our number three starter most of the year. So the 2015 Dodgers led by Jansen and Chris Hatcher out of the bullpen. Get the honors number seven. Even though this team made the NLDS, I have to go with the 2016 Dodgers. Corey Seager was one of the bright spots because he was the rookie of the year. Um, Joe Blanton came out of the bullpen a lot. We had acquired Rich Hill at the deadline, but we also had to see a lot of Josh Reddick. So the 2016 Dodgers, pretty good squad overall, but I feel like they just didn't really have it. Uh, Dennis Gonzalez with the super chat. I'll get to that afterwards. I really appreciate that, Dennis. That's awesome of you. Okay, Uh, number six, the 2022 Dodgers. They won 111 games, but they got bounced in the NLDS by the Padres. I do feel like even though this Dodgers team won a lot of games, it was fool's gold. It was basically Mookie, Trey, and uh, Freddie at the top, and then a wide gap of just black holes. Muncie was bad. Justin Turner was pretty bad. Um, Gavin Lux was good in the first half, but in the second half, he was bad. The outfield was just... The bench was disastrous. We had to rely on... Trace Thompson a lot. Cody Bellinger was awful. The pitching was really good. They had maybe the best bullpen of this Dodgers of all these Freeman teams, but honestly, just the way that things shaped out. I don't know that 20, that 2020 pen was pretty great too. Yes. We'll get to them. Number, number five, the 2019 Dodgers. So at the time they set a record, 106 wins Really strong team. I'm not going to knock this team. It's just the, the rest of the field is really strong. But the 2019 Dodgers should have won the World Series. Dave Roberts lost it for us. I'll never forgive him, get forgive him for that. They had all the pieces. They had the heart. They had all the depth. But freaking Dave Roberts blew that one. And that's the only reason the Dodgers from 2019 might have not been top two. Because I it think was a, a big what if. If I could chime in, I I think that that is
3: Dave's worst uh, playoff moment. Is that was that Game Five, the 2019 NLDS, the most poorly managed game of all time for him. Yeah.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
2: You there? Yeah. Definitely. I agree 100%. That was just a disaster. Um Aaron Vaughn, I remember all this shit because it haunts my dreams. <laughs> Num- number number 4, the 2021 Dodgers. really strong squad, the only team in this list that didn't win the division, made it to the NLCS in my opinion had the best bullpen Andrew Freeman had ever assembled. Jansen was phenomenal, Corey Knebel was great, Joe Kelly was in his last year at the time, he was good, Avesil uh, was awesome, he turned it around in the second half. Really really strong bullpen overall. I mean Gratterall was there. You they had a lot of bullpen games. They acquired Max Scherzer and Trey Turner at the deadline. They provided a huge spark. I mean, you had Corey Seager, Trey Turner. Um, First base was, I guess, Muncie until he got, yeah, Muncie until he got hurt at the very end. That sucked. And then Justin Turner at third, Will Smith as your catcher. That was a superstar infield. Pujols. So And yeah, the the bench had some flaws. Pujols was a bright spot, but we also had to play Billy McKinney, Steven Souza, Uh, Andy Burns, Luke Rayleigh, DJ Peters, Sheldon Noisy. It was almost impressive how many bad players were on that Dodger team, yet they won 106 games, beat the Giants in the NLDS, and just were out of gas by the time they reached the championship series. Number three, maybe a controversial take, but I'm going with the 2018 Dodgers. Even though they won like 92 games in the regular season, they were just really underperforming all year all year long. I do feel like this was a really strong squad on paper. Yes. And when the going got tough, they actually did pull through. Walker Buehler was huge in his rookie year. Max Muncy made his Dodgers debut. He was sensational. Matt Kemp was an all-star. Rich Hill pitched great. Madsen up until the World Series was a nice find in the bullpen. Dylan Floro really shined. Cody Bellinger had a down year but he still was the NLCS MVP i believe yes chris taylor had a good good season so, um so and david yeah and they acquired david Fries, who was a huge spark for the dodgers also also
3: justin turner in that NLCS in Milwaukee Yeah. It was it was monster
2: yes yeah and that, that i'm glad you brought him up justin turner may have had one of his best seasons ever that season he had like a 950 ops Yasiel Puig was pretty good too. This Dodgers team had it all. And Dave Roberts had another blunder in the world series. No surprise. And then the last two, I don't need to really elaborate. 2017 Dodgers should have won the world series. And number one, the 2020 Dodgers.
3: Yeah, no, I, I I, I'm with you on the list. I, I just feel that the 2023 Dodgers didn't get enough love because they had better regular seasons than the other Dodger teams that you had just above them. But it's it was going to be bottom of the barrel anyway. So the rest of the list I was I was fine with. And and yeah, I think it I think it goes 2018, 2017, 2020. No doubt about it.
2: Thank you, Dennis Gonzalez, for the super chat. This is just a comment. So and he's always in the chat. So Dennis is awesome. Appreciate your love and support. With regards to baseball, Rendon is the anti Kershaw. Hashtag Kershaw Saves. Yeah.
3: I love it. Yeah. He is. Um, And unfortunately, as we were reminiscing about 2019, I'd still, still haunted by Rendon and Soto. And, and, and Adam Kalarik is still waiting to be called in to face Soto. And why, why, why did that not happen? Uh, I will never, ever get over that. Kershaw got Adam Eaton out, and that should have been it.
2: (laughs) God damn it. We're going to, we're going to wrap it up soon. I think we lost Ryan. I was going to use this next segment for him, but he can listen later on. So I'll get to that in a second. We do have one question and Justin Yama saying, don't forget Sutsugo. Well, I forgot he was a Dodger to be honest because he was pretty bad too.
3: Yeah. That was our first first Yoshi. Now we have, now we have an even better one.
2: (laughs) Just so many bad players and don't even get me started with Matt Beatty either. God. Yeah. Uh, and then he's asking uh where are the Boris four going so Bellinger Montgomery Snell and Bellinger I guess mm-hmm. I guess Cody Bellinger goes to the Cubs I still think that happens Blake Snell Yankees God it I it might unfortunately be the Yankees no one wants to pay for Blake Snell yeah I I'm I'm a bit miffed
3: by it, honestly, two time Cy Young Award winner coming off a great year. I don't understand it.
2: Yeah. I think Jordan Montgomery is going to end up with the Boston Red Sox. And. The other one, who who does? I I said them all and I'm forgetting, God damn it. Snell Montgomery, Bellinger. And
3: who's the other big one?
2: Chapman. Chapman, but was he? Matt Chapman? He's going go to go the Giants. Still going to live with that, but yeah, it's Bellinger, Cubs, Montgomery, Montgomery, Red Sox, Snell, Yankees, Chapman, <sighs> Giants. I know we, I know we have too
3: much. We, we, we're not going to, we're not going to sign another big name free agent. But boy, no, how nice would it be to have Montgomery on this team? I don't think that he. Would, I don't think that he would cost that much uh, compared to Blake Snell, but man, I, 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 the thing is, is like I see guys perform well in the postseason, and I just get, I just start salivating because I'm just like, that's, that's the kind of guy I want on this team. I want a dog in the postseason, and he was awesome.
2: That was like my number one target, but yeah, but yeah. I think Michael Lorenzen would still be a nice fit. His he's expected to make like nine million. Why the hell not? Oh, cool. Ryan's Ryan can't here. hit anymore. That would be sick. All right. So this this segment is for Jake because he's also been in Texas, so he might be able to help me out here. And Ryan, who is a Texas resident as well, I was surprised how much traction this post I made got. I'm talking a thousand likes. 132,000 views, 65 reposts, like 200, 142 comments. It's this was not even anything I was trying to get attention for. <laughs> I just threw it out there. So I was in Austin, Texas over the weekend, had a good time. These were my three thoughts. And based off all the interaction I got, I'm a hundred percent right. So here you go. My L.A. versus Austin, Texas thoughts. Number one, Texas barbecue destroys SoCal barbecue. No surprise I mean, there. The layup. And that's not to say like we have bad barbecue in Los Angeles, but I went to Franklin. I went to Terry Black's. Absolutely incredible. The best barbecue I've ever had in my life. I got brisket. I got beef rib. I got turkey. I got mac and cheese. My mind was blown. Incredible! This was like the the Yankees of the early two thousands dynasty, right a here. Three peat, <laughs> yep unstoppable. This one, I was really surprised how wide the gap was, but California Mexican food clears Tex Mex. Oh yeah.
3: Aaron Vaughn asked, "Did you buy a gun when you were in Texas, Kevin?" He, I, 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 I think he wishes he would have, so he can shoot his internet cuz this internet is
2: terrible. Oh, there he is. Yeah. We're going to we're going to have to end the show in a couple minutes. I don't know what's going on. That's okay. But you said you said California Mexican is better than Tex
3: Mex. That's where we left off for you before you left us.
2: Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. The gap wasn't even close. SoCal absolutely cleared I was surprised how wide the gap was out there in Texas. They just cover it in cheese. They don't really pay attention to the seasoning. They kind of phone it in out here. We really destroy them. And then finally, before my internet cuts out again, In-N-Out is way superior to Whataburger, an absolute joke that Texans even try to compare the two. Whataburger sucks. In-N-Out Burger isn't immortal by any means, but it's, way freaking better than that excuse of a place called whataburger okay i i'm gonna
3: push back on this not because i feel like in and out is better than whataburger because i w- when i lived in houston like i was always like no in n out is the superior burger and i still stand by that i think it is the superior burger but i don't think whataburger is bad i think it's actually good there are a lot of menu options on that uh there are a lot of menu items on the on that menu that you can get that are really good. The uh the the waterburger junior, the smaller version of the waterburger burger is great. The waterburger itself is great. There are uh, a bunch of different breakfast options too. And I think the the thing that I liked about Waterburger is that there were so many different locations everywhere. And the problem I feel with In-N-Out is that the lines are way too long and they're few and far between and you're going to be waiting a long time before you get your food whereas waterburger yeah there there're going to be some long lines sometimes but there are more of them around town so you can you know find one if one is too busy or or whatever the case may be but i but i felt like the fries were great i think the waterburger fries are better than in and out fries i think the waterburger fries that just have a the classic they have that classic kind of mcdonald's fries that are that are crispy and great and salty the the in and out fries just do not compare unless you get uh animal style on the fries at in and out that clears anything in my opinion so that that's my take and i think that that's why your tweet took off because anytime you mention in n out versus water burger it's going to start a conversation
2: maybe but I don't think the I don't think the fries at Whataburger were even good. I and I'm not even high on in and out fries, but my goodness, the the Whataburger fries, I only had a few and I had to throw them in the trash. They were honestly terrible. Oh, you're you're out of your fucking mind, Kevin. <laughs> Come on. You threw them out? Everything uh, yes, everything at Whataburger was horrible. And I did I had the honey chicken it's not biscuit that, thing it's or not, whatever you call it. it.
3: It's not that bad. It's not, it's you're, you're it's not giving you enough
2: credit, I feel. Burger King is better
3: than Whataburger. Oh my God, here we go. <laughs> Burger
0: King is and not better than Whataburger. I think
3: it, it, it is a very hot take and you're, and,
2: and let me tell you, as far as opinions go, you're wrong. I feel like most of the people listening haven't been to Whataburger, so we're not going to really get much pushback here. But I, I had low expectations going into Whataburger. They were even lower than I thought. It was maybe the worst fast food meal out there is Carl's Jr. But this was a second. This was a strong second for sure. I will never go back to Whataburger. It was terrible. It wasn't even my idea to go there. My wife wanted to order it late at night. So I figured, sure, let me try it so that I can at least get this pulse of the in and out versus Whataburger feud that's going on. and. California wins this one. McDonald's is better.
3: Jack in the box is better.
2: Jack in the box. No, you stop it.
3: Someone someone (laughs) cut his internet now. Stop it with that Jack in the box.
2: Fuck out of here with that. Hey, Jack in the box sponsors the Dodgers. Uh, Who cares? (laughs) They also sponsor the Lakers. That's a glorious team as well. All right, well, I think we're out of time here before my internet cuts out again. Aaron wants Jake to go on another 49ers Dodger rant again. <laughs> I don't have the energy. <laughs> but yeah, my, my final thoughts here is that Whataburger is trash. The Tex-Mex in, in Texas isn't good either. The barbecue is fantastic. I did see Steve, Steve G mentioned that there's some good barbecue in the Central Coast. And yes, Tri-Tip is from the Central Coast. There is some good barbecue out there. But I Texas. have to give Texas their flowers because... The Tri-Tip they... is great
3: from the Central Coast.
2: Yes. Texas gets their flowers here. Like I said, if you ever have the chance, I waited three and a half hours for Franklin. It was worth it. Only had to wait 20 minutes for Terry Black's. Also really good. Um, I went to this other barbecue place called Laurel. That was good. had some breakfast tacos. They were okay. And then I went to what is considered the best Tex-Mex restaurant in the the city of Austin. And it wasn't very good. I'm sorry. If you disagree with me, then that's too bad because San Diego, Los Angeles, and Santa Barbara have superior Mexican food. So that's my final thoughts. And I'm going to just say, make sure to subscribe to the Incline Dodgers podcast, like this episode, and follow us on social media. And let us know in the comments section if you're watching this show after the live stream, what... Dodger, are you most excited to watch breakout th- in this upcoming spring training? Jake, I'll pass it over to you and then we're logging out. That's all I got to say,
3: Kevin. Just, I'm excited for Thursday. We get some spring training action. Get to see the boys back in uh back in full swing. Uh it's a, it's a great time to be a Dodgers fan.